Good morning. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 15 through uh, 17. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So, uh, so then, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of, uh, of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at this text. I pray now that you're Spirit would work in our minds to use your word to conform us to the image of your Son. Father, uh, that requires a lot of wisdom on our part. We know that we can ask of you wisdom and you give it freely. Father, I pray now that we would have wisdom, your wisdom, to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we have been... Uh, uh, looking at these uh, texts and um, looking at how walking has to do with how one conducts their life. Uh, Paul's been using walking in chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And he's used it in verse uh, 17, uh, chapter 4. And he's been using this idea of walking as a way that a person conducts their life. Now, it's interesting to see how many of us become experts at things after a decision has been made. Uh, before, we kind of stay kind of quiet, but you know, after the decision is made, then all of a sudden we all become experts at things. And uh, like everything today, there's many things that become very polarized, and um, I thought I'd use something very polarized, like uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine. Now, some come to the opinion that uh, America is under a moral obligation to help Ukraine. Therefore, money and military equipment should be sent. Uh, others, though, uh, are experts, and they say uh, we should not send funds. Uh, and sending funds already opens the door to sending equipment, and then next will be that they need people to, to run the equipment. And, and, and we have no reason to be involved over there. Now, I, I don't think that any of us have been involved over in Russia and Ukraine, uh, and I'm pretty sure maybe none of us uh, grew up there and have studied all the cultural and so forth, but yet we would all have opinions about how it should go down, what should happen. And uh, I'm not here to discuss if it's right or wrong or anything like that, but I want us to take a step back before the decision was made to help or not to help. In our minds here, us who, who have nothing to do with the war, uh, in our minds here, how did we get to that conclusion? What, what was the motivating factor that pushed us to the conclusion that we thought we are making the wisest possible assertion about X, Y, Z? And, and that's what I want us to look at. Why do we think that our decision, our perspective, is the wisest. 
Now, like I said, I, I doubt that we have anybody that has made any type of decision at all in this whole war on uh, between Russia and Ukraine. So let, let's make it a little bit closer to us. Uh, thinking about uh, the spouse that you picked, was that a, a wise decision? Some are like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Some are keeping very still, like, I don't want to show my hand, you know. But was it, uh, was it a wise decision? That university degree that you got, you know, the one in uh, theatrical performance of medieval times, but was that the, the best university degree that you could have gotten? Was that the, the best thing? And maybe it is. Or that job, you, you, you wanted this job, you, you worked hard to get this job, you understood their culture and you understood what they were going for and, and you really liked it and, and you worked hard to get in there and you've been there and you said, there's so much opportunity at this job. It's just growth, growth, I can, I can go up. But here you are 20 years afterwards and, and like up, 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 you haven't gone up. You found out that they have a basement and you've gone kind of down, down, down with them. What was it the wisest decision to go with this job? Now we're looking at what the Bible says about how we are to conduct our life and specifically in our context of how to walk in wisdom. Now th these verses are leading in a certain direction. It's moving into a certain area. And I think it's important as we're looking at the verses that we're looking at today to contemplate where the direction is going towards. What, what are we moving towards? Uh, he's going to get into family relationships, specifically husband and wife relationships, and how those are supposed to be conducted. Then he's going to get into parent and children relationships. Uh, how are the parents supposed to relate to their kids? How are the kids supposed to relate to their parents? And then he's going to go into aspects of employer and employee. How should that be conducted? Uh, and then he's going to look at aspects of the armor of God, which is how one lives daily, how one conducts themselves daily, how one is living in protection from the evil forces that are surrounding us. And then, of course, he uh, gives a farewell address. Now, it's important to think about these topics because... I would doubt that none of us have been in that room that has uh, decided if we're going to help or not help uh, this war in, in Ukraine. But all of us are in that room that has family or maybe an employer or we're living this life and we're having to decide daily if we're going to put on the armor of God or not. We know certain things about the Lord and these certain things are requiring us to make wise decisions. Uh, we, we know God, we know his character, and we know what he desires for us. We know that God loves us, and out of his great love, he works in us and through us. We know God's character uh, through his actions, and that he sacrificially uh, loved us by sending his son to die for us. So we know his character, and we also know his desire for us is to be holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 4, it calls us that he has chosen us so that we could be holy and blameless before him. That, that's his reason for his adoption and his work in us. Now, 
We know these certain things about God and his desire for us. Now we must make wise decisions based on this knowledge. So what we're going to be looking at in this text is that uh, believers must reject the way of folly by living in a skillful manner according to God's will. Believers must reject the way of folly by living in a skillful manner according to God's will. And we'll see this in verse 15. Uh, he starts with this section as a new transition. Uh, these transitions have been marked in, in 4.1, 4.17, where it's introducing a new topic, but this new topic is uh, based on what has already been presented over in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The, the command that we're going to see, the imperative, is based on a reality of chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's because of the authority of God choosing, of God um, adopting, of Christ redeeming and purchasing us, of the Spirit sealing us. He has authority to then tell us what to do. Uh, you think about that, that, that parent-son conversation where the, son, the father tells the son, uh, once you go take the trash out, and the, the son says, who are you? I don't have to listen to you. And then a couple minutes later, they're walking down, taking the trash can, you know, rubbing themselves like, oh, that really hurt. They found out who was the authority, right? It's based on chapters 1, 2, and 3 that the authority is established to be able to give the imperative that we find here. Now, the imperative is, it's put, it's translated to be B, uh, it says, therefore, B, if you have one of those uh, New American Standard Bibles that has kind of a reference thing, it says, look, uh, in the little side note, to look, it's an imperative to, to be attentive, to look out. It's uh, to pay close attention, to notice, to mark something. It goes in line with uh, what is mentioned in chapter uh, 5, verse 14, where it says, awake, sleeper, arise. It's the idea of being attentive. Uh, sometimes people can be driving someplace and they're lost in thought and their, their mind is, is driving the car and they're turning and they're accelerating and they're doing all the things, but they're not attentive to where they're at. One time I had a person call me and they said, uh, uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm lost. And I said, oh, well, where are you? And they said, well, if I knew where I was, I wouldn't be lost, right? I said, well, I can't tell you how to get to where you're supposed to go if I don't know where you're at. It's the idea of paying attention to where you're at, your surroundings, what's happening around you. It, it says uh, to, to look. And how are you to look? It says, uh, be careful how you walk. That uh, idea of being careful has to be uh, diligently, attentively, exactly to perfection. It, it's modifying the walking. The careful is modifying the walking so that the person is doing it with exactness, it is doing it with perfection, is being diligent to look, uh, to, to walk carefully, looking at the surroundings. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's developed through careful uh, attention as they're doing this. Now, what is interesting is that they're to look at how they're walking. Not to look at that they are walking, but how. We all are going somewhere. 
even if you're trying to stay still, you're in pursuit of something. And the question is, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do it? And and he's going to give a positive and a negative example here. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how have I been pursuing my conduct of life? If I were to wake up and look at the actions that I've done, the conversations that I've had, the the way I've been interacting, the the pursuit of my life, how has it been done? We're, We're looking a step back. We're not just looking at the actions that were done, but what is motivating, what is pushing that forward. He's saying, look carefully how you walk. Now, we've seen this walk already, and we've explained it. It has to do with how one conducts themselves, how they, they live life, how, how they are to live, how they to react, how they're supposed to be in situations. Now, Paul is urging the Ephesians to look carefully uh, how they're walking, carefully uh, how they're taking the steps, uh, which has to do with the manner in which they're doing something. You know, he's going to give this positive, uh, this negative and this positive example. He says, uh, not as unwise men. Uh, the word there, unwise, is uh, the, the only use you'll find of this exact word will be in this reference here. You won't see it anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's uh, created by taking the word wise and negating it. So he's taking the, he's doing a, a first has a unwise and then wise, and he's using the same word, only he is uh, making the negation here. And it has to do with uh, one who lacks the power of proper discernment. They, they lack the power of proper discernment. In other words, they're in a situation and they are doing things, but they are not acting appropriately to the context in which they're in. Uh, sometimes they go to uh, funerals, and you see someone who is unwise. The funeral makes them nervous. They, 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 they don't like the fact that there are people crying. They don't like the fact that there is sometimes a person that's dead there, and so it makes them very uncomfortable. And they'll start saying jokes because they just don't know what else to do. They're, they're acting in a way that's inappropriate to the context that's around them. Everybody's kind of somber and sad, and they feel like they need to, you know, say little jokes. It's knowing how to act appropriately, and what they're doing is they lack the discernment to act appropriately in the situation. Now, uh, we see this here. It, they are making decisions, but they're not in proper discernment to what God wants. That, that's the thing. In their eyes, they're making decisions, and they're making uh, decisions, and they think that it's appropriate. But according to as God sees it, it's not proper. They're not acting in accordance with God. Now, so don't act this way, but as wise, as wise. The, the, the but is a huge contrast that... Uh, marks it in distinction to what was previously put. And this word wise has this idea of uh, to know how to do something in a skillful manner. In a skillful manner. Uh, Being clever about something. It has an an artistic uh, idea to it where a person has cultivated a skill over years. It's not that they're just doing things, but rather 
through skill. It's like a baker who has, who has crafted their skill over years and years and years, and they've, they've perfected that sourdough or that baguette where it has that nice crust on the outside, but inside it's got that sponginess. It, it, and it takes years and years of crafting. This, this is the idea of wisdom. Somebody who has this ability to know how to live in a skillful manner. Now, what's interesting about this word is that context develops as uh, if it has a positive meaning or a negative meaning. And I'll give you an example. Uh, if we go to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, we can see where uh, Jesus is talking and he's praying to the Father. Uh, he's talking about, and he says, uh, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Uh, he, he keeps on later on talking about how those who are weary to come to him. He says it there kind of at the end of the, the verse, uh, those who are weary to come to him. Now, thinking about this in verse 28, the wise think that they can do stuff apart from God. And God has decided to reveal it to children instead of to the wise. So it's the same word here where we're supposed to live as wise. And Jesus says, I'm glad that you didn't reveal it to the wise, but to the children. So here is a wisdom that's not motivated by God, but motivated humanly. Uh, we can also see other verses where uh, if you're working your way back to Ephesians, you can stop off in, in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brethren, uh, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Now, it keeps on developing this whole idea of God's wisdom. It, it, in fact, he goes to one point where he starts saying, well, you know, even God's folly is greater than the wisest man possible. He, he puts a contrast between human wisdom and godly wisdom. Uh, we see this, so it's not that wisdom in itself is good. It's wisdom that is attached to God that is good. Because you can have a humanly wisdom, and you can be very smart humanly speaking, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't take you closer to God. Now, uh, this word is used extensively in the Old Testament. Yeah, if you were to do a search of the uh, Hebrew word and then kind of um, the Greek word and then see what Hebrew word is being used, uh, it has this idea of somebody who is skillful in life. They're clever, they're experienced, they've tried stuff and they know things. Uh, you see it used extensively in the book of Proverbs where it's calling individuals to be wise. It's put the contrast between the person who is a scoffer and they tear down things brick by brick it's like they can't even help themselves. They, they go into a scenario and they just start tearing things down. Whereas the wise build things up. The wise move into chaos and bring order. Whereas a scoffer and a fool, they just create more and more chaos. And that's the thing that you can see, is that a person can have very eloquent speech, but if what surrounds them is chaos, that person is a fool. Whereas the wise bring order to a situation. Now, again, contextually, 
you have to see it, it, this word has a positive and negative meaning. Genesis chapter 41, you remember that Pharaoh, he, he has this dream. And it's a weird dream where there's these cows and then there's, there's big fat cows and there's little skinny cows and, and uh, the skinny cows eat the big cows. And then there's these ears of corn and so forth. And he has this dream and, and he doesn't know what to do about it. So he calls his wise men. And his wise men don't have a clue what's going on because they don't have revelation from God. And finally, Joseph gets called in and he has revelation from God. And he tells them that the contrast is put between the wise men and the prisoner. And the prisoner with God is more powerful than the wise men. If you were to personify wisdom, the book of um, the prophet Daniel personifies wisdom. Over and over again, you see the strongest empire, Babylonian than the Assyrian empire. And the wisest men are brought before to be able to interpret the riddles, interpret the signs, and they cannot do it. And here comes Daniel. Daniel tells them exactly what the Lord has revealed. Over and over again, he is put in, con in opposition to human wisdom. And over and over again, because he relies on the Lord, he succeeds over them. In fact, Daniel's wisdom is so great that the prophet uh, Ezekiel is writing about the king of Tyre who kind of represents Lucifer. And he says that Lucifer is wiser than Daniel in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 3. As if you could have one person that would be the epitome of wisdom of how to conduct themselves even in a hostile environment, it would be Daniel. And he's saying that Lucifer, the king of Tyre, has more wisdom than him. And yet, what did it help him? He still fell, as you can see in Ezekiel 28. Now, a good passage for understanding wisdom is found in Hosea. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 9. It, it, the prophet there is saying, uh, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Wisdom has to do with a bit of information and then action based on that information. Whereas, whereas the, the transgressor, what will they do? They're going to stumble all the time over what the Lord says. They, they don't use it to obey Rather, they're just stumbling around in it. A wise person knows the ways of the Lord and he walks in them. A fool will try to walk in them without knowing or they'll try to know and never walk. That's what a fool does. They'll do one or the other, but they won't apply both. Now, here in our context, wisdom seems to be living skillfully in subjection to Christ and in Christ for the praise of his glory. Uh, we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 10 through 12, where it's to the praise of his glory in this dispensation that he has predestined us to be in uh, for the praise of his glory. So we think about that, that we're to know and we're to do. If you have just knowledge and you're not doing, you're not walking in the wisdom. If you just try to go and do stuff without proper knowledge of God, again, you're not walking in wisdom. 
So we're to carefully look at our steps. Carefully, carefully look at our steps. Now the question is, how in the world do we do this? How are we to, I mean, it's easy to say we need to walk in wisdom. We need to carefully look at our steps. We need to see how we are conducting our life. It's easy to say that, but how do we do that? And just as Paul has given a negative example and then a positive one, I want to first look at what walking as wise is not. And then we're going to look at what walking as wise is. So walking as wise is not. What is, uh, what is it not? Walking as wise is not a path that, humanly speaking, is better than folly. I'll say that again. Walking as wise is not a path that, humanly speaking, is better than folly. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 14 and 15, Solomon is looking at things under the sun, humanly speaking, how things are done. And he says, it's all vanity. It's all pointless. There's no use to it. You can acquire, inquire, inquire. You can get and get and get things, and it's for nothing because you eventually just die and you don't have it. You struggle and struggle and get it. And then finally he says in chapter 2, uh, 14 and 15, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. Humanly speaking, there is no difference between the wise and the fool. The wise person is over here trying to budget. They're, they're trying to live under their means. They're, they're trying to go to the ant and see how the ant prepares and, and works and does, and they, they keep on having to say no to certain things, and, and they're living within their means, and it gets harder and harder, inflation keeps happening, and, and uh, they can't buy the eggs, and so you know how it goes. Yeah, but there they are trying to live wisely. And then here's the fool on the other side. Budget? Ah, what Budget. We've got to use these funds now. You don't want to leave any funds for the Antichrist. You've got to go spend everything. Borrow money and keep on borrowing money. And they, so you see the house of the fool. They got new cars. They got new this. They got new that. They're overspending. They're living 10, 20% over their means. And you say, what, what difference is between the two? This one at least is enjoying life, and the other one's not. Humanly speaking, there's no difference between the fool and the wise person. But from God's perspective, there is. And, and it's better to be wise, godly speaking, than foolish, uh, humanly speaking. Now, not only is it the same, but a path to walk as wise is not a path without pain or injustice. To walk as wise is not a path it is not a path of, uh, without pain or injustice. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, and Ephesians 4, 1, Paul has made reference to the fact that he's a prisoner. He's in prison. And what is it that he has done to, to get to this prison? Well, he has been preaching the gospel. 
He's been telling people about how they can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's been telling people how Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, and if they put their faith in him, in his work, they can be saved. And so he gets arrested. It's it's unjust. Uh, If you look at Acts chapter 16, Paul eventually, through different circumstances, ends up in Philippi. There he is in Philippi, and he is uh, preaching the gospel. We see Lydia, the seller of purple, she gets saved. Um, they're being hosted there, they're preaching, and they're walking through the city. And, and uh, at one point, there is a lady that is uh, filled with a demon, and she has used uh, this demon to give prophecies, and she's making a bunch of money for her owners, and he uh, cast out the demon from her. You remember the story? Cast the demon out from her, and the people see the fact that they have lost their income, and they get upset. They start beating him. They take him into the plaza. They beat him some more. And then finally they, get, uh, they put him in prison and they throw him into the dungeon. There's no getting out of there. Was it a just situation? Oh, it was unjust. Was it a painful situation? Well, I can imagine it was. In fact, when there's finally this earthquake and, and the jailer's about to kill himself, he tells the jailer not to kill himself, and he, he goes and attends them. And and as he's attending them, he has to uh, heal their wounds. He has to put the Band-Aids and the Neosporin on them because they're in pain, they're cut from all the abuse that they've had. Walking in wisdom is not a path without pain and without injustice. Walking as wise is not a path, an, an easy path. Uh, Paul wrote about the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. He, he talks about that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yet uh, the cross is God's wisdom. And Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. It's not an easy path. If you walk in wisdom, it's not going to be an easy path. Because in God's wisdom, he had Christ go to the cross. And if we take that for ourselves and kind of think about it, we try to live a a life that glorifies God, and a life that glorifies God is going to be a cross-centered life where we're taking up our cross daily and following after him, Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 26. It will be a life, a path that's not easy. It will be one of suffering. You say, Daniel, you're the worst salesman in the world. Who's going to want to walk the way of wisdom after you're done with this? Nobody is. Because it has pain. It has injustice. To, To think that if I am just wise enough, I can avoid the pain. I can avoid the injustice. I can avoid, I can have an easy life if I do this. That's not the way of, of wisdom. It's not. And to assume that, you're already setting yourself up for failure. Let me also say that uh, it's not easy because even if you're living in wisdom, you'll have tremendous persecution. You think about uh, John the Baptist. He was there preaching against Herod because what he was doing was sin, and he gets put in prison. And uh, there he is in prison, and uh, he uh, his 
stepdaughter asked, uh, did a dance for him. And uh, he says, you can have whatever you want, up to half a kingdom. She goes and asks her mom, what should I ask for? And do you remember the story? I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Kind of sickening. I mean, this is kind of a sickening thing to, to ask for. I mean, just ask for him to be dead. But no, I went on a platter. And so sure enough, they go and do that. John was preaching the word of God. He was walking in wisdom. And he ends up with his head on a platter. Walking in wisdom is not an easy path. Walking in wisdom is not a popular path either. Do you remember 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3? Paul is addressing a church, a church that is divided. Some saying that they're of Paul, and some saying that they're of Apollos, and some saying, I'm of Cephas, and others are saying, I'm of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a divided church. Get ready that if you're going to walk in wisdom, many times you'll find yourself walking alone. Because as you get close to one group, you start hearing them and they start saying stuff and, and they start with the gossip and they start with this and you say, I don't want to be a part of that, so I'm going to move over here. But then you start hearing certain things inside the church. It'll be a lonely path if you walk in wisdom. It shouldn't be. But it will be. And many times people don't want to walk in wisdom because it isolates them. Inside the church. It's not an easy path. It's not a path without pain. It's not a path without injustice. It's not a path where you get to keep the idols of your heart. Now what in the world is an idol of the heart? An idol of the heart is anything, anything that has been elevated to the level of God or even higher than God. Many times it's things that God has given us himself. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a child. Maybe a career. Maybe a home. But we have exalted this thing and we've put a value on it and the value that we have put on it has been equal to or far exceeds God. So that if it comes between having the Lord or having this thing, we would much rather have this thing than have the Lord. I mean, we wouldn't say it like that. I mean, people would look at us weird at church. But it's where our heart is at because we've created an idol out of it. You think about Paul in Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 6, and he starts giving these whole things, things that, that really had nothing to do with him but that God had brought into his life. He was a Jew. He was taught the law. He, he was a... He starts giving all these things that he, he could say, I am proud of these things, and he counts them as what? As rubbish, as trash. For what? Oh, to know the Lord Jesus Christ and found in him having his righteousness, not his own. See, if you walk the way of wisdom, God will take every one of those idols of your heart and take, take them away. He, he will. God will not share his glory with anyone else or anything else. He just won't do it. One by one, he will remove them. Not only is it a path where it takes away your idols, 
but it's a path where you will not see everything. I'm taking this now from Jim Berg in a book uh, written, created for his image. Many times we think that uh, if I have wisdom, I'll kind of be like that person up in a helicopter, which can see the, the whole interstate, right? And I can see where all the cars are. And if I just have that perspective, I will avoid pain. I will avoid injustice. I will be able to know just the right path of how to go. But it's, it's not a helicopter view. It's a down-in-the-ditches view where one is living. Now, to walk as wise, those are things that it's not. So what is it? Walking in wisdom is making decisions in accordance to Christ, our head. Now, we haven't gotten to verse 17, so this is going to be at least a two-part sermon. Uh, verse 17 says, Do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord is. That will of the Lord is developed over in chapter 1, 18 through 23, where Paul prayed that they would have these eyes to understand the truth of Christ, where Christ is the head and the church is the body. Meaning that the body is supposed to be submissive to the will of the head. Walking in wisdom is making decisions that Christ would make. It's that submitting everything to the person of Jesus Christ, acting in accordance to what he would do. Uh, you can think of how weird it would be if uh, um, you have your arm and it's supposed to be doing a certain thing. Your mind is hearing a 4-4 four, four part music, right? And you're marking, conducting it, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and then all of a sudden your left hand starts doing something weird, starts doing the offbeat. That's strange. Why is it doing that? No. Everything's supposed to be submissive to the head. It's not supposed to be having one arm go do some of its own thing. It's supposed to live in submission to the head. Now, thinking about this, Christ is our example. And what this has, the idea of living this way, has an idea of living in an artesian way, in wisdom where you are crafting a life always in submission to Christ. Think about the person who made the piano. There's no tree in the world that grows like that, is there? No, there's not. The person had to cut down the tree and had to, in using his craft, create those boards, bend those boards, put them exactly as they are. It took years for that person to learn how to do that. We were in Costa Rica in San Jose at the market and kind of on the outside uh, side of the market, there's a guy who um, roasts coffee in a uh, wood-burning roaster. And that guy kept that fire just as an even temp. He would put wood in and pull wood out, put it in, put it out. Kept that temperature even. And the beans, he kept moving. He had developed an art. I mean, he just kept the temperature even as if it were gas or something. And he's there opening levers, closing levers, moving the coffee, looking at it so that it didn't get too dark. The aroma was just right. You think about the baker making croissants or uh, get it crunchy on the outside but the inside all flaky and buttery. It, it, you don't just do that once and say, ha ha, I mastered it. It's a life where you're dedicated over and over again 
but it's looking towards a standard. There's a standard that they're trying to reach at for that piano. There's a standard that that guy has for that coffee. There's a standard that the baker has. And the Christian has a standard, which is Christ Jesus. It's the head. And the believer needs to be looking at the head. Conducting. Now, sometimes you get off, you're there going, and all of a sudden you look up, and Christ is way over here, and you're like, oops, sorry. And then all of a sudden you keep on going, and you see, oh, he's right here. I've drifted again. It's a life of continual looking to Christ and changing course so that you're always on target with him. That's what the Christian life is. That's what living in wisdom is. Is always readjusting your course so that you're always focused on Christ. Now the question is, we started off by looking at the decisions you have made. and There's really nothing that you can do about decisions you have made except to correct them and start living for Christ. But the question now is, What's going to be the motivating factor for your decision in the future? Like before the decision gets made, like the thing that impulses you, that moves you, what's going to be the driving force for those decisions? Will it be submission to Christ as the head? Or will it be your own wisdom? Will you be crafty and artistic in, in your own ways? Or will you submit to Christ? Now, some of you, you can't do that because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And today, you can trust Christ as your Savior and start on a path of wisdom by realizing that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to save yourself but to put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and that will save you. Other of us need to take steps in obedience. We've been faking it for a while. Christ is way over here, and we're way off somewhere here. And it takes submitting back to Christ and following after Him. What we've been looking at today is that believers must reject the way of folly by living in a skillful manner according to God's will. Is that something you want to do? Is that something you will do? Or will you keep on pursuing what you want? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I pray now as we conclude this sermon and start going into this time of invitation, if there is someone here that's not saved, that you would convict them and that they would seek to come forward or maybe even talk to somebody beside them about how they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, if there's someone here that's maybe seeking church membership or wants to take that step of obedience and baptism, I pray that uh, today they'll come forward and, and do that. Father, for other of us, I pray that you would uh, help us to live skillfully for your honor and glory, being submissive to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.